ABF Creative. ABF Creative. Many define athlete success by the number of MVPs earned, all-star appearances, touchdowns scored, baskets made, or championships won. But the real wins occur off the field. When we watch and hear our sports stars discuss the topics that matter in the pursuit of equality and social justice, these voices should be heard, celebrated, and most importantly, shared. These are the real sports heroes. It's time to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what are we doing to create change? They're just so happy to see a black man who will stand up and jeopardize every court he's got to tell the truth. I'm seeing things happen to people that don't have a voice. People that don't have a platform to talk and have their voices heard and affect change. We will definitely not shut up and dribble. I would definitely not do that. Being an NBA player don't exclude me from no conversation at all. First and foremost, I'm a black man and I'm a member of this community. Go after your dreams. You don't allow anything to take you away from your dreams. Hi, I'm Kadri Ismael, and I'm a real sports hero. My name is Kadri Ismael, 10-year NFL vet, drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, second-round pick, and played for the Minnesota Vikings for four seasons before being released and signed a free agent deal with the Green Bay Packers to only be traded to the Miami Dolphins, which I called it my wilderness experience because in my time as a Minnesota Viking, I don't think I fully understood what it was to be a pro. And it took me that wilderness of going to Miami and then leaving Miami, signing a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints. And then finding myself and what I felt I could do from a football player standpoint and becoming more of an accomplished player in my time with the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Won a Super Bowl in 2000 and ended my career in 2002 with the Indianapolis Colts, which ironically was the first year for Tony Dungy and his time as head coach there in Indianapolis. So uh, felt really good. Had a full career and no regrets. Mm-hmm. I was born in the Weekway section of Newark. I was born at home. And uh, I remember so many things. Just, just looking out my bedroom window, you could see the World Trade Center. My mother and father were divorced at such an early age of mine that, you know, it was what I... Th- just knew. And so with that said, my mom lived in East Orange, New Jersey. And we spent our weekends with my mom and we spent my weeks with my father. And I just remember going up and playing an awful lot at my mom's, a lot of sandlot football. I just going out there and guys would just, you know, start picking teams. And my first football experience was with the Orange Buccaneers. I was an offensive and defensive tackle. My friends when my brother and I would be playing against them, they would call us the Campbell brothers from Earl Campbell. And, you know, they're just like, oh man, you're just like Earl Campbell. I'm this skinny little toothpick of a kid and had no idea that Earl Campbell was this giant of a man. So I was a huge Houston Oilers fan just because of Earl Campbell and what my friends would call me. (laughs) 
my father passed away when I was nine. And so my mom, you know, here she is, she's raising three sons. And my mom had, you know, a tough responsibility of getting her beautician's license. She actually became a cosmetologist. She, I remember working at Bamberger's downtown in, in Newark. And basically, you know, it was, it was tough. It was, it was, it was a challenge. And so my grandmother, my father's mom, she recognized what was going on and was like, look, let me help. And I'll take, you know, Suleiman, my younger brother, I'll take him and he can come live with me. I, I, I you know, I'm by myself. I need you no know, company and, and all that. So he moved to Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, while my older brother and I, we stayed back in, in Newark. And that's where, you know, we started playing more and more football and all that. But it was interesting because he was staying out later and later. And I think for a mom, she was really concerned, you know, what was going on. I mean, it was an urban environment, but, you know, so what? You know, we everybody knew everybody and it wasn't really anything like of a gang or drug infested at that time. So it was all good. You know, you, you knew where to go. You knew you know where to stay and hang out. But at the same time, it was, again, it was a challenge on, on any parent, you know, and I know my mom was no exception. So my grandmother, you know, was like, look, I think this is where you need some peace of mind. Um, let me take the other two boys. I'll take all three. They can come stay with me. And that way that can give you, that free you up. You know, going to, you know, predominantly black environment to a predominantly white environment was, you know, a culture shock to say the least. You know, I guess that was the, the next challenge, if you will, for my brother and I um, to reunite with my younger brother, but also to kind of figure out like, all right, this is a little bit different. You know, you're not seeing too many people with brown skin like us. You know, what's up with that? It was, it definitely took us a minute to uh, to adapt and adjust. My grandmother would always take us to church. And, you know, if you didn't want to go, my grandmother had a saying, all right, okay, brother, no churchy, no eating. So <laughs> Sundays came and I mean, I'm a growing young man. I'm trying to go and get some food. And so, you know, we would be going off to church and go to children's church and different families would invite us to their houses. And, you know, they would live in different back mountain and areas of, of the Wyoming Valley. And it was surreal. It was like, wow, this is, wow, this is clean air. It's fresh living. This is, this is nice. You go from, you know, Newark where you're playing football on dirt. Then you go to Wilkesbury and, you know, you, you're looking, everybody has, everybody has a lawn and there's green grass. At that time, they used to rank, I forget what magazine or publication would rank the top 100 cities in America. And in the early 80s, the Wilkesbury area, the Wyoming Valley was rated very high. I think it was like 13 in the country or something like that. It wasn't upper middle class by any stretch. It was a middle class working environment, but um, you know, it had a great school system. The sports teams were very, very competitive and awesome. But, you know, again, you go from one environment to another and you're like, what the world is going on? I have three children. Kalea, my daughter, she's my oldest, Kadri and Kadir. All three um, are biracial and all three identify as 
black Americans. When I look at the three of them and what went on this summer with the issues with George Floyd and some of the things that was the aftermath of it, they all really took the, the scales off my eyes, if you will, and brought me back and, and helped me, you know, awaken the, the voice within that says, you know, that's not right. I am, I am a man, I'm a human, I'm a black man. I deserve an opportunity to live a life of freedom that we have in this country is not just for a select few people. And so when I look at the way in which my kids and their friends, you know, called out what was wrong, it just made me reflect. I talk about, you know, my time in Newark compared to my time in Wilkesbury. And, you know, there were so many people, both black and white, that helped me grow to be the man that I am today. And, and I owe so many people so much gratitude and, and, and thanks for helping me. But I also remember those ignorant people who put me in a position where, you know, they tried to knock me down and make me feel less of a, of a person, like I'm not able to live a successful life because of their inadequacies and their insecurities. You know, so I've, I've seen that. And I think, you know, this summer past of 2020, you know, where my kids, you know, were like, wow, dad, you know, some of the things that are being said just aren't right. We need to put a voice to it. And it just, I think, awoken the, the, the sleeping giant, if you will, not only in myself, but many others to recognize that uh, white privilege is wrong. Um, the fact that uh, you think that you're, you know, able to just live your life without consequence and not recognize that, you know, I'm going to get stopped because of who I am when it comes to the color of my skin. You know, I'm going to be treated differently. I'm not going to have an opportunity the same as you. Um, there's a certain, you know, language I have to speak or be where you can just go out and it doesn't matter for you. And that's not right. And, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just as a father so incredibly proud of the way my kids have educated themselves you know on on so many issues when it comes to social injustice here in in America and you know for for them to 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 not just have it be some cute little hashtag but to continue to bring light to it you know it just makes me proud as a father but also helps me recognize you know some of the struggles that I had to face as I was growing up as a a young person here in, uh, in the United States. I hope you're enjoying Real Sports Heroes. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, this generation's, you know, Jackie Robinson type of a, a flow, meaning that, yeah, you're, you're going to be called some vicious names and, you're going to be, you know, vilified, but at the same time, you're going to stand strong and stand with pride and you're going to ignite fire within many others who, you know, see you as a human, recognize that there needs to be change and you're going to inspire those people to continue to stand tall and not shrink back 
and and just allow what has been to continue to be the norm. Challenge people outside of their comfort zones. You know, <laughs> Black Lives Matter, the way in which that has been twisted and politicized, but to simply to recognize that, yeah, I'm a Black man and my life matters. And until you recognize that my life matters, then you can't say, well, all lives matter. Yeah, we're, we're not discrediting everybody else. We're trying to give some love and credence to what's really important. And first and foremost, somebody is hurting, somebody is suffering. Why can't we give a voice to that? Why are we trying to politicize it? You know, so I think that uh, this generation, again, you know, they've done their due diligence. Not all. I, I think there's still some education to be had. Don't get it twisted. I don't think that, you know, everyone is is automatically some righteous level activist. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. But I think the conversations have been started. The books have been picked up and started to, to be poured into. Uh, people have been asking the, the tough questions. I think that there has been a greater empathy um, across the board. And I think, again, it, it started with you know, that spark of like, wow, you know what? I know who I am, I'm a human, and you're going to treat me with respect. And in this particular case, for me personally, it hits home because of the way my family, my kids have uh, taken to the forefront and really had some thought-provoking messages that they put out that that I fully supported and still support to this day, but also, uh, you know, gave me a sense of like, wow, I'm, I'm proud to be who I am. And that's a black man here in America. I think, you know, with social media, the power of your voice is evident. And there are a lot more, you know, for you than are against you. You have more power than you think. And if you use it the correct way and use it wisely, then I think it could be an asset for not only you, but for others. Your words are one thing, but speak so loud with your actions that they need not hear what you say. Um, that's something that, again, you can you can also do. It's going to take more, quote unquote, white people to get off the fence. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King was even saying that it's not the neo-Nazi or, or Klansman that he's worried about. It's the conservative or it's the liberal that just kind of is like, Oh, yeah, that's wrong. Oh, boy. And they sit back and do nothing because, you know, when it comes down to policies and change and the larger picture, uh, you know, <laughs> you you're, that's where it's not, oh, just, you know, shut up and play. It's, well, I'm going to be passive aggressive and not say anything. And I'm just going to get your autograph and I'm just going to enjoy you as my piece of entertainment. And that's where, you know, I, I, I get, you know, frustrated and again, however you can within your circle of influence, uh, it doesn't, you know, it have to be millions, but it has to start with one. You know, I, I desire for whomever is listening to be a good, you know, person and to, you know, love one another and and to treat others as you would want to be treated, you know, with that level of love and respect. Thanks for listening to Real Sports Heroes. 
Subscribe to the podcast to ensure you're notified when the next episode drops. And please take a second to rate and review the show. We want as many people as possible to be able to engage with our real sports heroes. And your ratings and reviews help other people find our show. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.